I've titled my message uh, tonight, What is Truth? Uh, we live in a world where truth is um, becoming a very, very scarce commodity. And um, as Christians, we are being bombarded by different kinds of ideologies and philosophies uh, all over the place. Um, social media, as good as it is, is not helping. Um, young people are sometimes confused. Uh, a lot of them go to university. They, they, they get uh, professors who talk down on them about their faith. And when they come back, they are no longer uh, wanting to be Christian. So how do we go? Where do we go from here? How do we address this? What is, what is our work to do as Christians? What, what, what role do we have to play in society when it comes to this issue of truth? So if you've got your Bibles with you this evening, uh, let's start by reading the scriptures. Uh, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And I would like to read from verse 37. John chapter 18 from verse 37. Actually, I think I'll, 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 I'll start before uh, that, that verse um, and start from verse uh, 31. This was when uh, Jesus had finished praying for his disciples in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. Um, if you have a red letter Bible, you see, you know, your page, that particular page of your scriptures of the Bible uh, is all in red. And it's pray for them. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. Keep them by your name and so on and so forth. And so um, he's finished praying for them and he's crossed over the Kidron Valley uh, into uh, uh, the, the garden where he normally will go to pray and meet with his disciples. And so people have, I mean, the, the high priest has sent his soldiers and uh, Judas has brought them to, uh, to arrest him. And uh, he goes out to meet them. He was arrested and uh, was taken uh, to, to Pilate. Uh, let's start from verse 30. They answered and said to him, if we are, this is what the Jewish leaders speaking to Pilate. They answered and said to him, if you are not an evildoer, we will not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, I've heard theologians and Bible teachers and scholars say, uh, nobody can really say or confirm how this conversation went. Was it that he came to him arrogantly and said to him, are you really the king of the Jews? Or truly, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, nobody knows. But we see Pilate here enter the praetorium in verse 33 saying, uh, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning uh, you this concerning me? And we know that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. We, we kind of forget this uh, in the West, in Europe, in the West, that and around the world that Jesus was actually uh, a Jewish man. And he was answering Pilate back in the, in the way that Jewish uh, conversations go. 
You answer a question with a question. So here, Pilate was asking him a question. Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered. Um, and his answer is very interesting because Pilate was asking him, what have you done? He didn't say, well, I didn't do anything. He didn't say, oh, this is what they said I have done. Or I don't know what they, they're accusing me of. But Jesus answered in, in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I mean, that, that question, you know, logically speaking, that the answer did not follow the question. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He said to him, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am king, that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. What is truth? This question is what, uh, is what we have to answer for ourselves as Christians and collectively as the church of Jesus Christ for the next battle that is coming for the conscience of nations and for the conscience of of the world. Because unless we as Christians understand what truth is, we cannot stand against the falsehood out there confidently and challenge what is not true. So on Good Friday, uh, most of you probably have heard the news and seen it on social media, uh, the labor leader, Asakia Stama, went to uh, Jesus' house, the redeemed Christians of George. God, uh, uh, Redeemed Christian Church of God headquarters in Bryant Cross. Um, I think someone had written them a letter from government or from the Labour Party office, uh, you know, thanking them for uh, putting a, a, a COVID-19 um, vaccination center in their church because there was a very poor take-up of the COVID-19 COVID vaccination among black people. And so they'd done that and... Um, and so they've inv they invited Kestama to come and see what they were doing. And he's gone there. He was impressed about it. They showed him the COVID-19 uh, vaccination center. They showed him their food bank, uh, everything. It's like him coming here. We show him what we do in the community here. The football, uh, the, the clothing, everything. Everything that Eddie Walsh and uh, 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 our dear brother Marcelo does here. And he was impressed and he took the video and posted it on his social media page. And then the attacks started. You, you went to that church. 
They are not LGBT compliant. They, they, they practice, yeah, that's, that's the way I see it. Uh, they practice uh, conversion therapy. And if you've seen all the videos that uh, Pastor Agu had been uh, interviewed on, he has always said, everybody is welcome, but we hold to the principle of the Bible. We hold to the principle of the Bible. He has said over and over and over again, we do not do conversion therapy. If people come and they want to be prayed for about a particular situation, whether it's cancer, whether it's leprosy, whether it's whatever it is, we pray for them. That's what we are here for, to serve people. And then the attack started on Kiestama, and then he removed the video from his page, discounting the good work that church was doing in that community, and they've done. And then he was bullied into apologizing to say, if I had known, I wouldn't have gone to that church. I mean, I was, I was sad when I saw that because it shows how some people's perspective on knowledge, some people's uh, feelings about knowledge trounces every other person's reality of what truth is. And so we've seen that. I mean, in preparing for this message, I went back to the, to the history of of, 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 of uh, partnership and, and, and um, the advent of gay marriage and looked into what all the, the former prime ministers said. And I discovered a trend that our political leaders are afraid of the LGBT. It is, it is obvious to me now, when it comes to LGBT issues, they are spineless. Why am I saying that? Because we are talking about freedom of speech. We are talking about freedom of association, freedom of religion. My own right to say, okay, that's what you believe. I disagree with you. And your right to look me straight in the face and say, that's what you think. I disagree with you. And we can disagree to agree. But your right does not Trans my own right under the law. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be that bullying a political leader on social media will make him destroy the reputation of a church working in the community. It's abnormal. It's completely, uh, uh, it's a reversal of justice and what is good. And as Christians, unless we know what the truth is, and are ready to stand up for it, I'm afraid we're not going to leave a a good legacy for our children and the generation that is coming. We're not going to give them anything of value. And it doesn't matter what properties and money and, and, and careers we give them. If this is, if they don't know the truth, everything you left for them will cause them to become fools. And the Bible says that the prosperity of a fool will destroy him. And if we are not going to allow our kids to be destroyed, then it's time for us as the ones that are left with the option of standing up for the truth. Amen. Whether we go to jail or not, we must be prepared like, like Paul, 
Like Daniel, like Shidrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, or even like Luther, here I stand, I can do no more. We have to make up our minds. But if we are not certain of what the truth is, what the knowledge of the truth is, then we are in trouble. And we will have failed the generation that is coming. Recently, the furore also erupted about uh, Meghan and Harry's um, uh, interview with Oprah. Now, I'm not concerned about what they said or what they didn't say or whether they should have revealed the truth about who said what and who did not say what, say what because of the fact that now, you know, it's not the queen who said one thing and it's not Prince Philip, God rest his soul, uh, that said it. But now everybody is looking at Kate and William and looking at Charles and Camilla, which is wrong. You know, it might be just one of them that said it. So they should have come out with the truth. But what I'm concerned about was Oprah Winfrey's statement after Megan had spoken. And she said to Megan, this is your truth. Your lived experience. And that is why we must, as Christians, begin to think again about what truth really is. Because my lived experience and what I think is reality to me might not be at all. This is your truth. This is your lived experience. And, and when, when, uh, when uh, what's his name, Pierce Morgan was thumbing off the, the, um, his show and said, I can't listen to this anymore. I can't listen to this anymore. This is my truth. So which truth do we believe? Megan's truth or Pierce Morgan's truth? And that's the reason why, as Christians, we must pay attention to what is going on around us. Otherwise, we are going to be sucked into a quicksand and we'll get to the bottom of it and we think, how did we get here? Because we weren't paying attention. It is time to wake up and pay attention. There was a theologian uh, called Francis Schaeffer, one of the finest of the 20th century. He was trying to, so this this debate has been going on for a long time. The, the, People trying to understand what truth is. In fact, some people have claimed that science tells us the truth now. That with science, we don't need God anymore because we know the truth. So Francis Schaeffer coined this phrase, true truth. And what he was trying to do was to resurrect a popular uh, uh, a popular philosophy uh, in those days, made popular by the English uh, philosopher and political theorist, John Locke. He died in 1704. He was one of the top philosophers about uh, uh, empiricism. You know, this idea that the origin of all knowledge is sense experience. That's why people are talking about your lived experience. But the problem with their definition of truth, which is correspondence theory of truth, that truth is whatever corresponds to your reality. Whatever corresponds to your reality, that is truth. And if you think about it logically, that may seem like it makes sense. Until a man came on, on, the, on the scene, he's um, F. Lee Bailey, uh, 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 an attorney in, in the USA. 
Uh, he's very famous because he was the one that defended O.J. Simpson. Uh, he was, he was, was O.J. Simpson's uh, 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 attorney in his trial, in his famous, famous uh, trial. F. Lee Bailey was giving a lecture one day about how difficult it is for eyewitness, uh, how, how juries find it difficult to really understand eyewitness uh, account in giving uh, evidence in court. And so F.D. Bailey was giving a lecture and he wanted to demonstrate this. And then suddenly a man rushes up the stage and screams at him, ha, 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 waved his hands in his face and then ran off the stage. And F.D. Bailey stood back and said, did you, did you see that? Everyone said, yeah, we were here, we saw everything. And then he picked up a microphone and went to the audience and began to interview them. What, what, what did you see? What, what exactly did you see? He interviewed about five or six of them. And they all said, yeah, we saw the man run on the stage, you know, and came and hit you and then run off the stage. <laughs> and so F. Lee Bailey got the cameraman to bring the tape, the video. And so they showed the video to the people and the man did not come near him at all. It was about two feet from him. But yes, he did come on the platform, did shout in his face and did. And that was evidence. That was that was, he was saying, you see what I'm trying to say? What you think was the truth did not correspond to your reality. And so the, 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 the Christian church could no longer pursue that theory of corresponding truth anymore. And thank God for that because they came out, the church came out with a different Theory, a different definition of truth. And it's that truth is which is that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. Hallelujah. Which means if you take God out of your reality, your perception of truth will not correspond to reality. But you bring God into it. You bring God into it and your perception of truth becomes clearer. In the movie, 12 Years a Slave. Now, you know, this movie might not be a good movie for people to watch because there are so many offending words used in that. Those are, I, want to, I want to read to you uh, a dialogue between uh, uh, the character played by Brad Pitt, Mr. Bass, and the character played by Michael uh, Fassbender, uh, who was a slave owner. Uh, don't worry, I've edited all the offensive words out. So, you know, we're in the house of God, isn't it? Okay. And, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. So, Bass, who was paid, played by Brad Pitt, uh, was working for, for uh, 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 Epps. And Epps comes with a bottle of alcohol and says, hey, Bass, you know, why don't you take a break? Have a, have a drink. And Bass replies and says, uh, no, thank you. You know, I'd rather get on with the job for which you have already paid for. And the way he replied Epps, he, Epps knew that something was wrong. So he says to, uh, the dialogue begins. Edwin Epps says to Bass, who is Brad Pitt, says, if something robs you wrongly, I offer you the opportunity to speak up on it. And uh, Bass exhales. Okay, well, you asked plainly, he said. So I will tell you plainly. What amused me just then was your concern for my well-being in this heat, when quite frankly, 
the condition of your laborers, before he could finish, Epps jumps in and says, the condition of my laborers? Bass says, yeah, it's horrid. Edwin F. says, the heaven. You know what he said, you know. I edited that out also. The heaven. And chuckles. Then Bass says, it's all wrong. It's all wrong, Mr. Epps. Edwin F. says, they, they ain't hired help. They are not hired helps. They are my property, he said. Bass said, you say that with pride. Epps says, I say it as a fact. Then Bass says, if this conversation concerns, if this conversation concerns what is factual and what is not, then it must be said that there's no justice, no righteousness in their slavery. But you do open up a conversation, an interesting question. And then he says to, to, to Epps, what right have you to own humans? Now, I edited that word out also. When you come down to the point, Epps says, what right? Mm-hmm. Epps, uh, Abbas replies. Edwin Epps says, I bought them. I paid for them. Then Abbas says, well, of course you did. And the, Lord's, and the law says you have the right to hold slaves. But begging the Lord's, begging the Lord's pardon, it lies. Suppose they pass a law taking away your liberty, making you a slave. Suppose. Edwin F. replies, that ain't a supposable case. It cannot happen, he says. Then Bar says to Epps, laws change, Epps. Universal truths are constant. It is a fact, a plain and simple fact, that what is true and right is true and right for all, white and black. This is a conversation in a movie. And unless you listen carefully, unless you understand what was going on there, unless, you know, the man starts with righteous. There's no justice or righteous or righteousness in slavery. And he ends with saying universal truths are constant. The question I would like to uh, ask Oprah Winfrey is, supposing somebody comes back and says, we must bring back slavery. And that's my truth. What has she got to say to that? Will she stand up and say, no, we must not bring back slavery. And then the person can say to Oprah Winfrey, okay, that's your truth. But my truth is the truth of Epps. Your truth may be the truth of Mr. Bass, but my truth is the, is the truth of Epps. The question is, there is no God in all of that conversation. Of course, it was true. The law, the law permitted people to own humans as property. So in a way, Epps was not breaking the law. And that's what people say. Oh, I am not breaking the law. But let's beg the law's pardon. Where is truth? Where is justice? Where is righteousness in all of this? And this conversation, when, when I was preparing for this message, came back to me and I thought, I'll, I'll do a bit of movie research because Hollywood has a way of foistering thoughts and ideas and philosophies upon us. And sometimes, as Christians, we buy into them without even questioning them. 
and we begin to water down the truth of the word of God. And when the gatekeepers of truth no longer know or understand what truth is and what truth is all about, then chaos starts in society. I can, I can say to you prophetically, not because I'm a prophet or I want to prophesy, but just looking at things, that I give it 20 to 25 years, 30 years maximum. Pedophiles will also come and say, that's my truth. And that scares me. And that's why we must get on top of this now as Christians and challenge our, our, our political leaders about coming out for the truth. Amen. Preparing, I saw a video again. I went back and looked at the video of Theresa May, the daughter of a clergyman, being interviewed on ITV. Do you think gay sex is, is a sin? No. Let's move on to the next question. And later on, she became the prime minister. And then she says, my views on LGBT issues have advanced. Which simply means, my truth is very fluid. Now that I'm prime minister, I know where the power lies. The power lies with the LGBTQ because they have access to media, they have access to money, they have access to power. And I am not going to rob them on the wrong side. So Christians, you are on your own with what you believe. That was what she was simply saying in that interview, just like Kestama. Even our dear brother, who has now repented, God bless him, Tim Farron of the Libra Party, was under so much pressure that he lost his mind temporarily. I pray that you and I, when the pressure comes on us, that we won't lose our mind temporarily. So in another movie, uh, the shooter, this is also very manly, you know, there's a lot of shooting and assassination and all that. The end of the, you know, towards the end of the movie, uh, Mark Wahlberg, who played, you know, an ex-soldier, uh, uh, a sniper, was set up to take the fall for the assassination of an African bishop. Because these men had done something terrible in the village. Understand it's a movie. But as they were celebrating their victory over the fact that nothing, that they were, they were untouchable. Uh, the senator from Montana, played by the actor Ned Beatty, was saying to the rest of the team, oh, when, when you guys appeared before the attorney general, did he go on about his speech about what is right is right, what is the law is the law, it's all about, you know, righteousness, it's all about, you know, justice and all that. Did he make that speech? They said, oh, yeah, yeah, he did. And then the, the, the other man said, yeah, I told him, Mr. Attorney General, hold my cigar. And then that Beatty said in his line, the truth is what I say it is. And so people manufacture truth for themselves, to suit themselves, to suit their situation. The truth is what I say it is, which is, this is my truth, and I, it's my truth. You can do nothing about it. That's the Attorney General's truth, wanting righteousness and justice and, and the rule of law. That's his truth. But for us, we are above the law and that's our truth. Now, a society that continues that way is going into disaster. Disaster awaits such a society. Uh, uh, please give me another, another, you know, a moment to tell you another movie. 
The 300, another very, very bloody movie. Leonidas was the king of the Spartans, a warrior nation, part of the Greek empire. But they loved their nation. They fought. Their, their children are trained to be warriors right from the beginning. And Saxis, the Persian king, he calls himself the God King, was coming to take over Sparta. So he sent emissaries. Leonidas pushed them into, into, into a dish and, you know, war began. Finally, Xerxes couldn't overcome Leonidas until they were betrayed. And so there was an encounter, a meeting between Leonidas uh, and, and, and Xerxes. And uh, Xerxes makes a lot of promises to Leonidas. I will make you a warlord over Greece. Everybody will come and bow at your feet. Every, you will become powerful. You have gold. You have you made a lot of promises. But there's only one demand. You first need Kneel down at my feet. Well, no, Leonidas refused. And then, Xerxes threatens him with this. He said, there will be no glory in your sacrifice. I will erase even the memory of Sparta from the histories. Every piece of Greek parchment shall be burned. Every Greek historian and every scribe shall have their eyes put out and their tongues cut from their mouth. Why honoring the very name of Sparta and Leonidas will be punishable by death. The world will never know you existed at all. Is that not what they are trying to do? Oh, there was a time people came up and said, how did, how did we even know that Jesus existed? And then archaeologists, everybody started searching. Christians came and then we have, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We know there was a Jesus, historically, the historical Jesus. That nobody could deny. There's no archaeologist, there's no historian, what they saw or what they weight in gold that would, that would say there was no Jesus. We believe in that Jesus, but we don't believe in the divine one. Which is our truth. And it is the truth. Now, a lot of people say, well, <laughs> I was reading a, a commentary that was written in 2012 by a Jewish man, uh, a Jewish blogger. And he was saying that as they were coming to the Passover time in 2012, the Arab Spring was on at that time. He was writing to the Jewish people, his own people, and was saying, well, you know, as we sit down at the Passover table uh, and we read all these stories about 600,000 families coming out of Egypt, let us tell our children and the people around the table that it's not, it, it didn't really happen. It was, it was a metaphor. And then I was thinking, okay, why, why is he writing this? And I got to the end of his blog writing, blog post, and he said, because if we are to have that elusive peace with Egypt, then basically we must start telling a lie that it didn't happen. Truth, being subjected to what is convenient, let's erase the truth. Now, I read the story of Leonidas because Leonidas was a wise king. So what he did was to call Delius. Delius was a great fighter, but Delius had a, a, a talent that no other person had in the team. Delius could tell stories. So Leonidas calls him and says, I want you to go to Sparta. Go and tell them. The great story of victory. Delio says, victory? We all know we are going to die. And says, yeah, 
Go tell them. Remember us. Because on this ground stood a few. On this ground stood a few to defend and fight against the tyrant, the many. That because of Spartan law, we gave our lives on this ground. That Spartans are not slaves. They would never retreat and they never surrender. We are Christian soldiers. We are ambassadors of a kingdom that cannot be conquered. We don't give up. We don't surrender and we don't retreat. Because even our Lord Jesus Christ, in the face of what was coming, still said, not my will, but your will be done. He did not surrender. Now, there is a story which I want to end with. In Luke chapter 19, is the story of Zacchaeus. I will paraphrase it. Most of you must have heard about Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a midget. And I was using my imagination and saying, okay. Because at the end of the story, he decided to do some things. One day, Jesus was passing by and Zacchaeus heard about it. He probably abandoned his post where he was collecting taxes. Because as a tax collector, you are seen as a collaborator with oppressors. The Roman oppressors, because you collect taxes for, from your people and give it to the Roman government. So you are helping your oppressors. But the Bible says that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a very short man. Probably a dwarf or a midget. He was probably bullied in the synagogue. Zacchaeus the short man. I mean, he was well bullied. So Zacchaeus had no identity of his own apart from the identity they've given him as a short man, bullied. Proper, that's, that's my imagination now. And so Zacchaeus was an angry man. When you show up to his tax office to pay your tax, he looks at you and maybe you didn't say, oh, good morning, Mr. Zacchaeus, or you, you know, do whatever you're supposed to do. Even though you're supposed to pay five pounds, Zacchaeus tells you you have to pay 25 pounds. Your tax bill is 300. Zacchaeus says it's 900. So Zacchaeus became wealthy. But even his wealth and his oppressive attitude towards his own people did not satisfy him. He had to encounter the truth. And so he had that Jesus, the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, was passing by. So Zacchaeus runs with the crowd to go and see Jesus. But unfortunately for him, as he was coming from behind, excuse me, can I just go through? Oh, it's Zacchaeus, they block him. They know him in the community. They know he was a cheat. They know he overtaxed them. So nobody will give Zacchaeus way to go, pass through and go see Jesus. So Zacchaeus thinks, what am I going to do? He runs back and then climbs a sycamore tree to wait for Jesus. And the Bible says that in that story in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, when Jesus came under the tree, he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down because today salvation is coming to your house. And so he goes into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus encountered the truth. Zacchaeus encountered the truth and the truth transformed his life. The truth delivered him. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
Zacchaeus was so, was so transformed by the presence of the truth in his house that he rose up and said, Lord, that you, a holy man, the truth comes to the house of a sinner, comes to the house of a liar, comes to the house of somebody who believes in relative truth. You come to my house, if I owe him 25 pounds, if I took, whatever I take, I'll pay double. Whatever I took from you, I'll pay four times. Whatever I took, that is what the truth does. When the truth comes into your life, it delivers you from the shackles of men. It delivers you from those things that held you bound in the past. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But this same truth, for the first time in his life, Pilate was confronted with the truth. But he smacked about it. What is truth? What is truth? And Jesus said, Jesus said to him, this is the reason I came. I am the king of the kingdom. If we are giving it to you, if you read chapter 19, Jesus said to him, you can have no power over me except it's given to you from above. My kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants will fight. And, you know, a lot of people think what Jesus meant was that the disciples will fight. No. The disciples were not his servants. The angels of God are his servants. He said, neither the Jewish leaders nor you could handle me as a king. But I've come to testify to the truth. The truth that sets men and women free. You know, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible talks about the truth as part of the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth. The truth is what holds everything together. What we enjoy in Europe today, in America, in the West, was because of the truth of Christianity. Britain is a welfare state. We know that. Our NHS, we look after the poor. When people lose their jobs, you can go on, on the uh, job seekers allowance or whatever they call it, you must have credit or whatever they call it now. They give you money to look after your children. You come from anywhere in the world. Uh, Britain will welcome you and provide at least something for you so that you are not on the street. All those welfare enjoyments that we have today from Christianity. Christianity revolutionized Europe. Christianity took Europe out of barbarism. Amen. Now, Europe and America and the West are going back Amen. to the ancient religions of self, Amen. idolatry, that held them bound in the past. But this is where our challenge comes as Christians. The Bible says, that we are the light of the world. We are not just a light to ourselves. We're not just light in our families. We're not just salt in our families, but we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We have a job to do. Every time I think about this, and you know, in the past I've been overwhelmed and thinking, how are we going to deal with this? Jesus is not asking us to deal with it in our own power and in our own strength. Ephesians chapter 6, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There was a reason why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. The counselor, the teacher, the comforter, and our helper in every area. Yesterday we had a Zoom call, a conference, a webinar. This house providing for us a legal mind and a retired Christian judge to speak to us how to defend our faith in the workplace. How not to allow us to be, you know, how as a Christian, how you can stand for Jesus in the workplace. We must pay attention to these things. When, they, when you see the email, please just don't, don't brush it aside. That is what is necessary for the, for the, for the way our society is going on. We all have to put our hands on the plow and not look back. Because it's on our watch that society is going to the dogs. Amen. And we are the custodians of the truth. The truth that Jesus Christ is Lord over all nations. The truth that he is king. And that the truth that his word said, he's given you and I this realm of the earth. The heavens of the heavens belongs to God, but the realm of the earth he has given to the sons of men. The question I want to ask you is this, what are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? And collectively, what are we doing about it? As the church of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ, with Jesus Christ our Lord as the head. It's time to wake up from our sleep. It's time not to take our doctrines and our teachings from Oprah Winfrey or Barack Obama or Joseph Biden. We must go to scriptures. We must go to the one who paid the price for the freedom that we have. Jude says... In verse 3 and 4, Jude is one chapter. You, we must earnestly contend. We must earnestly contend for the truth that was handed over to us. It is time for us as children of God to stand up and contend Amen. for the truth. Amen. Another question I have for you, do you know the truth? Maybe you are watching me. Do you know Jesus where do you take your worldview from? From social media? Or from the word of God? Amen. How is your fellowship with the Holy Spirit recently? And for those of you who are at home, who, you know, for whatever reasons, you've not been able to come to gather back with us. Has the lockdown shut you down from the truth? Are you locked away from the truth? Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it's time that we begin to pursue the truth like Zacchaeus. We must have a thirst and a hunger for the truth of the word of God. So that we are not thrown by every wind and doctrine of man. But we are standing on the truth, even if we have to go to jail. Luther was ready to die. Amen. I told my wife, all I require from you is to come and visit me in jail. I finished with a story. I, I saw this on TED Talks, and most people know about TED Talks. This person goes to school to pick up their child. 
And this person says, as they go to the school, a little boy comes and says to them, looks up at them and says, are you a mommy or are you a daddy? And so this person replies and says, I am not a mommy and I'm not a daddy. I am a mapa. Mama and papa put together. And I thought, I rewind. I said, what exactly was that? I am a mapa. So the little one says, what is a mapa? A mapa is one who is not a daddy or a mommy, but a combination of the two. So this person says, the little one says, oh, okay then. What's your favorite dinosaur? And this person was wanting us to believe as adults that if only adults can become like children who just accept everything. In other words, suspend your brain. We will do the thinking for you. And whatever we thought and we bring out to you, that's what you must accept. No, I refuse to suspend my brain. I refuse. I completely refuse to suspend my brain. And if you like, put an handcuff on me. You know, even ordinary preachers on the street are being handcuffed and taken to jail. It's no longer a new thing. You can put me in jail. It will still not. I will be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and not a prisoner of our Majesty's prison. Like Paul. Paul never said, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He was always the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can lock up his body, but you can't lock up, lock up his mind. You can't lock up his faith. Even in that prison, he was still writing to us, rejoice in the Lord, and I say rejoice. It's only the truth that can make you rejoice in such a situation. What is your truth this evening? What do you believe? Who do you believe? Why do you believe what you believe about the who you believe? What is your truth? Oprah's truth, Biden's truth, Obama's truth, or social media's truth, or the truth that is called Jesus Christ. 